Radio Justice D. Don Kamathi Studios in Mid-City out of the Harriet Tubman Center. This is the RJLA Community News. I'm Adam Rice. I'm Angela Birdsong. And we have a hell of a show for you today, family. I hope you're staying at home. I hope you're staying safe. First off, we want to give you an update on Skid Row. And we're going to throw to our sister Charlene Muhammad, who sits down with Pastor Q. Jean-Marie. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, Assalamu alaikum. That means peace be unto you. I'm Sister Charlene Muhammad for Liberated Sisters. And here is an interview with Pastor Q. Jean-Marie of the Skid Row Church Without Walls. He spoke with me recently for the Final Call newspaper regarding the impact of coronavirus, COVID-19, on the homeless population. What do you think about how this is really affecting people who are considered homeless? Well, um, obviously, when we have a broken infra... But first of all, thank you for for um, for asking and thanks for calling. And it's a, uh, I appreciate you uh, um, right. taking the time right. to interview me. Uh, but, um, yeah, but, but as it relates to this thing, the first thing we have to... Uh, lift up is the infrastructure, right? One of the things we talked about was we've been advocating for uh, homes for houseless folks for a long time. Um, and what COVID-19 does is ex- it exposes uh, the broken, not broken, but the flawed system uh, because it, it was designed, right? And it's given the desired mm-hmm. outcome. So it's exposing the flawed uh, system and uh, that is uh, a system that is not uh, created that has not created a safety net for those who are most marginalized and those who are at risk. Uh, for example, we black folks are forty uh, percent of the homeless population in the nation. Uh, also in uh in California as well and also in the city of Los Angeles those numbers are the same respectively all the way down and we are just hearing as the numbers are beginning to come in that 40% of the covid-19 cases are black folks right black. folks who are dying um of a covid-19 40% of them are black folks and so the system is not broken. It is actually uh, producing the outcome it had been uh, designed to produce. And so uh, being, knowing that and, and the response we've gotten on the ground, there are a number of efforts. Uh, we are a coalition of about, uh, co- we're part of a coalition of about 200, over 200 groups uh, called Healthy LA who've been pushing for everything from rent forgiveness to um, uh, making sure folks who are working who've lost their job or employment due to COVID-19 will receive that employment as things begin to ramp up and companies are um, uh, begin to come back online. So mm. everything to housing the homeless in hotel rooms, right? We've been pushing for that because we're saying people in Skid Row are not practicing, for instance, are not practicing social distancing effectively because they're all bunched up together and and they can't. Uh, there was one case in the Union Rescue Mission where um, a, a gentleman uh, was had contracted the COVID-19. We don't know whether he did it in the community or brought it into the community because he's one of the employees of the mission, but they had to basically quarantine the entire third floor 
which was about mm-hmm. 95 people. And so, wow. yeah, and so, yeah, and so the things that are going on on the ground, we've been responding the best way we know how. The city put out all these hand-washing stations. Uh, our community partner, L.A. Can, checked uh, those hand-washing stations, and we uh, found out that uh, they, they were either running out of water in the first 24 hours, they were running out of soap, uh, so folks couldn't uh, stay clean, uh, and we know this is vital in order to help uh, mitigate the issues as it relates to contracting this, this, this COVID-19 virus. And so we have began to build a hand-washing station at L.A. CAD. Um, there's one on the back of my church truck right now, and whenever we go out and we feed the people on Friday nights, we may, we're making sure they're practicing social distancing, giving them masks, uh, um, asking them, uh, you know, to wash their hands before we give them food. Uh, because, again, uh, they can't practice social distancing effectively, so we're not going to sit there and allow our people to die. We strap on the N95 mask and we go to work. Uh, last Wednesday, on Easter Sunday, our Easter, my Easter service was partnering with L.A. Can once again, and we gave out uh, food and, um, again, help people wash their hands and give people masks. And we know that for the first couple of uh, weeks of COVID-19, the Skid Row community were working around like they didn't even care. Uh, but now we're seeing a whole lot more people with masks on because on the ground, grassroots, we've been able to ramp up our efforts and um, and let folks know that this thing is, is you, you can't play with it, uh, especially as it relates to African-Americans and, uh, and other black folks and how uh, the pre-existing condition of poverty has um, has made this a deadly virus for us specifically. Wow. Thank you very much. You know, this is amazing because when I talked to activists, we just recently did a piece on the impact in prisons, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about vulnerable populations. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think there was a, I mean, well, Address the issue of not strategizing for the population, knowing that social distancing and saying that this this virus can't swim six feet. Homeless population, visitations for prisons and jails, elderly who are moved in nursing homes versus moving themselves. Well, I don't have to accuse anyone of anything, right? The mm-hmm. proof mm-hmm. is right there. Right. Uh, the way the city responded to this issue, it is by the grace of God that our entire community is not affected and people are not dropping dead on the daily. I believe it's, 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 it's actually, partly um, the, the prayers of the community and the grassroots effort to work and try to keep people clean that we haven't had more cases in Skid Row. I really believe that. And one of the one of the, the the reasons is that I think it's it's they don't care, right? Mm. I really believe that that's not on their radar. I believe uh, there's a thing in, in in scripture that talks about the conscience the conscience of, of a person being seared like a steak, right? Uh, it's dull. It can't it can't feel, and I believe that it relates to anti-blackness or as it relates to black death, murder, or whatever it is, that our society's conscience has been seared. And being that 75% of the people who are in the Skid Row community are people of color or black, uh, uh, 75% black, and then even probably if you talk about other people of color, probably about 80%, I believe the conscience of our society, the conscience of our city officials have been seared. Um, they're going through the motion, but they didn't move as if this was something that could kill people uh, as it relates to the Skid Row community. They didn't move like they really cared. Had they moved like they really cared, people would have been in hotel rooms. Now they're trickling that whole idea, but but they didn't really treat it as if it was a state of emergency. Mm, wow. And so moving forward, this pandemic is over, and people are really and truly left high and dry again, like for real, for real. Mm-hmm. What are mm-hmm. some things that 
people can do to assist you all's efforts? One of the things is twofold, right? We have to continue to push uh, public policy that creates safety, affecting it for our people, right? Uh, we have to continue to push them to build housing, um, and we have to ramp up our efforts uh, as it relates to that. We can't treat it. Uh, we have to take extreme measures by any means necessary. We've got to force them, like Frederick Douglass would say, power concedes nothing without a demand. We've got to force them to create uh, a public safety infrastructures. And then, as it relates to us, there are things that Pete and I were on the phone yesterday. Pete White and I, from Atlantic Canada, we were on the phone yesterday talking about this thing that I've I was working on called the Hip Hop Smoothie Shop, where we're um, uh, making smoothies, herbal smoothies, different types of smoothies, uh, uh, and we were planning on, 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 on creating that as an economic incubator, a cooperative business for our community, and we had a fitness uh, uh, component to that, but wow. COVID-19 really exposes the fact that we really need to actually put more focus on the fitness part than we really uh, were thinking about. And so because we know that these pre-existing conditions in our communities, these are things we're dealing with right now, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure. Uh, so we're talking about boot camps for our people, uh, all kinds of uh, healthy opportunities. We know that uh, to, to go along with the uh, rooftop garden that LA can, has and uh, the farmers market that they do on uh, on Thursdays when it's uh, uh, when it when, when it allows us to do that again. Uh, but but we have uh, a community effort going, and uh, we think that some of these things, uh, as well as educating our people in terms of empowerment and helping them realize their own power. But um, and then we have to find creative ways uh, to build housing. Uh, to, to place our people in housing. We can't let them uh, take all our people and, and get a plot of land in Lancaster and throw our, all our people over there and say, hey, this is the solution. Because we know mm -hmm. that when they do that, it's just so they can forget about us. So we've got a lot of work to do on the ground. We're part of a, a group called Reclaim Black LA. But mm -hmm. there, there's some efforts that we're, that, that we're, uh, we're working on that we believe uh, is going to make an impact. Pastor Q, thank you so very much. For RJLA, RadioJustice.org, I'm Sister Charlene Muhammad. I'm so glad that we have people like Pastor Q out there on Skid Row during COVID-19, who is not afraid to be amongst the people, uh, the homeless population, whether it's pre-COVID or, or during COVID and most definitely post-COVID, we know he will still be out there but that they're building hand-washing stations, Adam. How do you even build a hand-washing station? And they said they had one at LA Camp for you guys. Well, no, those are the ones he's talking about. I mean, you know, uh, Skid Row was an interesting place, like especially Q was, uh, I was with Q uh, yesterday when uh, we were at LA Can, you know, doing mutual aid or survival pending revolution, as Minister Huey would put it and making sure that people got fed. And there's actually a video. Uh, we've posted it on the uh, Radio Justice Facebook, but you can also catch it at the Los Angeles Community Action Facebook, Instagram, or uh, Twitter, that explains how to build your own. It's just basically a, a plastic trash can, a pump, <laughs> and, uh, and water and soap. These are the, and it's amazing to me how LA Can could build 25 of these, but the city has to be court ordered to put any of them out there and maintain them with water. You know, I mean, did you see the, uh, the, the pictures of the, the judge and the recent lawsuit came out and tried to wash his hands on Skid Row, but there was no water? That was an interesting day in court after that. Well, what did he end up doing? Oh, he ended up ordering the city to put out bathrooms and hand washing stations, which, I mean, LA Can published a report almost six years ago now, they called the Dirty Divide, that laid out the uh, healthcare disparities in Skid Row, uh, especially around access to water and uh, sanitation facilities, bathrooms, and that helped to get uh, the refresh spot in the middle of uh, 
on Crocker Street and Skid Row, which has showers and, uh, you know, you do laundry and uh, all that. Um, there's actually, they're actually moving to a new spot. So they're going to be closed for the next month. So we're going to be watching the city very closely to make sure that they get showers out there to make, to pick up the slack in the middle of this crisis. I mean, they have to close because they're moving to the new location, which is over on town street. And it's going to be a much larger place. Um, but Q is, you know, as, as most of y'all listening know, we, we usually play Q every Sunday, but, uh, you know, he suspended his, his sermons, you know, he's, 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 he's not, he's not the, uh, he's not the televangelist type, you know, he likes to have his people in person, but he doesn't want to put anybody in danger. So that's why y'all haven't heard a new church without walls, but, uh, he's, he's been out there every Friday night at, you know, at his normal time doing that, doing that mutual aid, handing out food. You know, making sure people can wash their hands, making sure people have a little love during this whole thing. You know, Q's a great guy. And and it's wonderful to have uh, Sister Charlene interview him. And if you want to read the article that she wrote and just the final call in general, go to finalcall.com, you know, and check that out. Because, you know, the final call is always on top of it, you know, and uh, they're doing they're definitely doing mutual aid down at the mosque over on Vermont. So, you know, hit them up, you know, check out NOI.org and, you know, you can get, uh, you can get access to those resources. They're here to, there to help the people always have been. And uh, we definitely uh, are glad the nation's around at times like this. Most definitely people who are out there helping, helping yeah, the, the vulnerable populations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, especially looking at Skid Row. I mean, I know L.A. Kim brought in uh, the U.N. Rapporteur on poverty as well as the U.N. Rapporteur on housing a couple of years ago. And they stated that Skid Row is one of the worst, if not the worst, refugee camps they've ever been to. And make no mistake, family, Skid Row in the center of downtown Los Angeles is a refugee camp. It is a refugee camp from the price gouging and the gentrification that's been happening all over the city. You've got people there from South Central, East Los, Watts, Compton. They all end up in Skid Row when displaced by these large real estate companies. And we're gonna be getting deeper off into that in the coming weeks as this crisis continues to unfurl one thing we really have to look out for is people being able to stay inside. We've already seen a complete failure of Eric Garcetti and the rest of the city council to house the 60,000 plus people on the street. Now imagine 600,000 people, because that's what it is. 630,000 people in this city pay over 80% of their income for rent. We had over 24 million people sign up for unemployment in the last week. How many of those people are going to end up on the street when we get to, I mean, of course, people can't be evicted for up to three months after the state of emergency lives, and they're supposed to have uh, a year to pay back that money. Right now, we're still pushing to try to get the city council to make that money, uh, to make the money that's owed not uh, more of a consumer debt, so you can't be evicted for it. Right. Well, it goes back to that stimulus check. You add two more zeros on there, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's become painfully obvious, and I hope it has for everybody who really runs this country and who these people really work for. I mean, even here in L.A., uh, it, it's the most obvious thing in the world, it, but it took forever. I mean, the city council had went on recess for three weeks and came back, and Herb and Nuri are like, well, we need a rental assistance fund. Of course you do. And maybe you could have thought about that before you went on recess for three weeks. I mean, Jesus, Herb, you're going to run off against Holly Mitchell. You're probably going to get your ass kicked. So well, and, I, and, these, and these are things that, that should have been happening prior to COVID-19. But like in Sister Charlene's interview with Pastor Q, he said that COVID-19 just exposes the flawed system. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what it does. That's exactly what it does, it, you know. So it it is it is great to have those voices, and and we're blessed here at Radio Justice to have them. Speaking of amazing voices, really reaching out and doing good work for the community during this pandemic. So now you interviewed some amazing sisters, right, Angie? I about sure to hear did. Oh my goodness, yes. The 
Tina Sanchez and Estella Roach. They are with So Against COVID-19. Ladies, welcome to Radio Justice. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Angie. Well, Tina, So Against COVID-19. Where did this come from? And what's the beginnings of sewing against COVID-19? Making face masks. These ladies make face masks for frontline workers, healthcare providers. How did you decide this is something that you wanted to do? Um, well, um, thank you for having me on your show. Um, this, this really started um, by, um, I, I happened to sew as a hobby. <laughs> and I also happened to be a nurse um, in a community hospital. So when the whole COVID-19 crisis, um, actually when it became a crisis, when it became a pandemic, um, we just, I just started really seeing uh, the needs of um, it just, uh, of the, the needs of what we needed at work, the, our workers. Um, and I, I knew at home I had a sewing machine <laughs> and I had an, you know, I, I had the ability to make a mask. So I just uh, pretty much watched YouTube videos learned how to make a mask. And I was telling my girlfriend Stella all about what I was doing and Stella just kind of jumped on board and she said, you know, why don't we um, expand this and just kind of meet the needs of the community. There's people out in public that need masks. There's, um, you know, beyond my workplace, beyond uh, my own immediate family, there's people in the community that uh, especially our vulnerable, our elderly. Um, so it kind of just grew, you know, um, Stella took interest right away and we kind of encouraged each other. And the more we got involved, other people started reaching out to us. And it was twofold. They were asking how they could get involved. And then they were asking for help, um, different places, different um, nurses I know, different doctors I know were asking for um, supplies. So it just kind of snowballed. <laughs> it literally yeah. grew overnight. Yeah. Truly a grassroots effort. Oh, yeah. You yeah. saw a need and filled it. Filling Yes, it. right. Yeah. Wow. We're trying. You're trying. How, how long <laughs> have you guys been doing this? Um, I think we probably started three, about three weeks ago. Okay. Maybe a little bit longer than that. Right. And again, it started just kind of making personal masks for my family. And, and then, but I would say we've been full force the last three weeks. We've really been pushing hard. So yeah. how many people make up team Tina? You know, I don't know. Stella's got her troop over there and I have mine. I would say that together, we probably have a dozen people, um, that are sewing, that are helping getting the word out, um, that are helping deliver supplies pick up, do, do the things that we can't get to, that we don't have time to do. So it allows us to, you know, stay at our machines, you know, and just keep on plugging away. It, it really starts with um, the kind of fabric we're using. We, we really want to use um, quality cotton, if possible, um, something that's cool to the face. Uh, these, uh, we're finding that, that a lot of the healthcare workers are actually using them at the workplace um, in acute settings. Um, so it's not just the general public. And so they're wearing them for long hours at a time. Um, so, you know, our priority is to keep it as comfortable as possible, um, you know, so they don't get hot. Uh, we stay away from um, very dense fabrics like, um, um, like a, a flannel that would be, you know, hot against the face. So, um, that we, so we start with the fabric and then we need the barrier the filter that goes inside. And um, we, we, have, we started out with just using like a surgical mask, the, the typical procedure mask that everyone uses at the hospital, not the N95, but um, the other one. And we started with that in, um, in a mask. And, but then those started becoming short in supply. So we kind of had to get creative. We looked at the um, idea of using coffee filters, of using um, gauze, just doubling it up. Um, but then we uh, came across the surgical material called halyard. And the, that surgical material was donated by um, a local church, 
um, a food bank in local church. And that is uh, a surgical material that's used in the OR. And what it does is it um, provides a barrier, a microbial barrier um, that will filter out very small, you know, um, bacteria. We're assuming viral. Um, it hasn't actually been tested for a viral, but they use it in the OR and the hospitals are now using it this material to make N95s as a backup. So we think it's a very pretty good barrier. <laughs> if the hospitals are using it, it could be autoclaved. Um, and we've been sewing them into our masks and um, providing that as an extra protective barrier. And so um, that that's the second part of the process, I guess. And, and then it's really just finding the people and assembling them. Um, we need good elastic. We need comfortable, um, a comfortable way that healthcare workers and just people in general can wear them. So some people like ties, some people elastic, you know, and, and that's, that's really our process. After that, we um, wash it, we sanitize as best as we can, clean it, package it so that Iron it's ready it. to go. <laughs> Iron it, kill anything with heat, with light. Um, and so the next person receiving it is receiving a clean, hopefully non-contaminated mask, um, either mask cover or a mask with the barrier sewn into it. So that's kind of our process <laughs> in a nutshell. Way more complex than I expected. It is. Yes. It yes. is. And we want it done right. We really want quality. You know, um, we don't want to give the hospitals, our nursing homes, something that's going to fall apart or something that's really ugly. <laughs> you know, we try to make it look, you know, um, as cheery as we can because some of, you know, the, this is something that they're wearing all day long and it needs to be durable. So that's what we're trying to do. Do you guys have a goal amount? Is there like, we're going to make 2000 masks or, and how many have you made so far? Ooh, how many? Um, I would say we've made at least 200 um, that we've given out. And I would say we're probably upwards of three, 400. Um, we have gals uh, that, have sewn, that are sewing in other states that have shipped them to us. And now we're providing masks to um, El Paso, Texas. Um, there's nursing homes. We found there's a huge need over there. It's a very underserved area. So um, we're really trying to um, provide, you know, help fill that need over there. So um, we're, we're rushing. And I would say our goal is just to keep going until we no longer get requests or, you know, when we call a nursing home, we hear, you know what, thanks, we're, we're covered. We've got more than we need. Right. When we hear that, then we know we don't need to do this anymore. So it's kind of an open-ended goal right now. Right. I was going to say, um, there's also San Diego. San Diego has been reaching out to us, nursing homes and different yeah. facilities and um, nurses, um, care workers. Um, and then we have some nursing facilities out here. We've also had some requests from um, police departments. Um, there was a request for uh, sailors from a ship. Um, however, that demand was really great. It was 5,000 masks that they needed. So we basically just um, pointed people to a different, to different sources because we're so small in, in, in who we are that to do 5,000, you know, all of us have jobs. We, have, we work full time. And then so we just couldn't meet that need. So we're, we're making some for them, but um, the majority is being sponsored by someone else. Amazing. You guys are national. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, because you started, you started in Orange County, right? Is, this, yeah. is that where? No, we well, started LA, in L.A. County. LA oh, County. L.A. Yeah. County. Okay. Yes, right. L.A. County. Right. We've, actually, you know, had, we've actually had masks um, being shipped out to uh, New Jersey, um, right into the middle of the epicenter over there uh, by a doctor here locally who uh, we were able to provide her, I think around 50 masks 
for her um, her colleagues in New Jersey where she used to work. So she's a doctor here now practicing, but she had them shipped there. So we made children's masks for autoimmune um, suppressed children that are undergoing chemo treatments. Um, we were able to provide masks for them. We were able to provide for some of our elderly patients, uh, some of her colleagues and family members. So yeah, so we've actually have gone to the East Coast, <laughs> technically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you guys have. Yes, West Coast to East Coast and yeah. even into our, our, with our military. You mm-hmm. guys are touching upon different places that we're not even, you know, as, as a, uh, just a, a layman, a regular civilian, you're not even thinking about children uh, with um, um, deficient immune systems that mm-hmm. would be, need masks. Right, right. Wow, you guys are, thank you guys for doing this type of work. Oh my goodness. So, so the team is about 12 or more and obviously you need, you need more, you need more people. Oh yeah. We can always yeah. use more people. Right. So, so that you can yes. meet that, 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 uh, uh, supply that, that, that order of 5,000. Maybe one right. Day. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you guys have delivered across the country, various, um, places, where do you guys find the time? Because Estella just said you guys you, you work full you work full time. You have your own families. Where how do you how do you guys find this time? And when are you sleeping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you know the funny thing is, yes, our we're slammed at the hospital with COVID patients, <clears throat> but all we have at the hospital are COVID patients. So my work is actually slowed down. Um, our census is down, so it's allowed me to have more time to so um, and to really, you know, devote a lot of time and energy into this. Um, so I, I'm only working maybe 30 hours a week right now, if that. Sometimes it's less. So um, Stella is working full time, so she puts a lot more time into it. Right. Well, and I think that um, because we're quarantined because there aren't a whole lot of places to be going to. Um, We've just taken the time that we have off and, and put that energy into sitting behind a, a a sewing machine. And when we're not cutting, you know, we're ironing, we're washing, it's all related to, um, this cause because we believe in it so strongly and it's such a motivator that uh, I mean when I go to bed I drop dead I literally do but I am just so excited that through you know every every little piece that I'm doing or whatever I'm constantly thinking of it's meeting a need it's helping somebody who otherwise may not have either the resources, you know, or whatever. And because I'm so in tune to what Tina and her husband, her husband works at a hospital also, I'm so in tune to, you know, what they're seeing, what's coming in at the hospital. And, um, and then the testimonies that you get to hear from people on the, on the fundraiser page just people telling us about different things, you know, they lost a loved one and they're mourning for their, for their loved one. And they can't even go and bury the loved one or do a funeral service for them. And we've just like reconnected with so many people and even new people, right, Tina? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. We've gained this, uh, these, these new friends, if you will, um, because they either want to support us or they have a need. Well, yeah. it's to what you guys, what you ladies are doing, it, um, you know, it puts me in mind when Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor, neighbor as, yourself. as yourself. Right. And we never know who our neighbors are, right? Because mm-hmm. you know we won't go into a Bible study about it, but 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 <laughs> but to to do unto others as you will want them to do unto you, and mm-hmm. truly that mm-hmm. is where your guys' hearts are, mm-hmm. and this need 
is, mm -hmm. is spreading. Thank you guys for sewing against COVID-19. So against COVID-19 is the name of their Facebook page. If you want to get involved, if you go on their page and you'll know how you can support them. Well, any, any closing statements? Um, Tina, tell us why it is important for us to wear these face masks and to shelter at home, especially as, as a professional licensed oh, nurse. Oh, gosh. Um, it's so important that we take responsibility and, and shelter at home when we do venture out to, to um, wear protective, you know, uh, protective masks, wash our hands, keep a safe distance. Those things are so important because, you know, when we go out, we may feel, you know, well, I'm not at risk or I'm healthy, but there's a lot of people that are, in, are out in public that may not be, that are autoimmune, um, deficient. And so we really need to just be mindful of people around us and, you know, and do our part. If everyone just does their part and takes some personal responsibility, um, we could get through this way faster. Mm -hmm. We could flatten that curve. And I think we've been doing a really great job. Um, the hospitals haven't been overwhelmed, at least in, you know, my area. We haven't been overwhelmed. We still have medical equipment. Um, we're, we're sitting really good, but there are people that have, are so sick, and they're not just the elderly. There are lots of young people. I have, I have patients right now that are in their 30s that are on ventilators. They have no underlying conditions, and yet they're on ventilators. Um, so, you know, it's uh, people, it, it is a real, it's a reality and we, everyone needs to just, you know, play their part and, and just keep that safe distance and, you know, we'll get through this soon, but I think, um, hand washing and just being, and checking on your neighbor, making sure your neighbors have what they need. If you see an old person walking down the street, they don't have a mask, help them out, give them a mask. You know, I see a lot of vulnerable people just in the day-to-day. -day. You know, we just really need to be, um, you know, mindful of our neighbors and of each other. Take care of each other. Take care of each other. Yeah. Okay, well, if you, if you um, have symptoms of COVID-19 and want to get mm -hmm. tested, call your medical provider first. Yes. You can also visit your state or local health department's website to look for the latest information on testing. You can go to cdc.gov for more information on coronavirus. Ladies, thank you so much for what you are doing um, so against COVID-19. And thank you for giving me your time today to tell your story. And now for your Radio Justice Community Calendar. Young Women's Freedom Center presents Revolutionary Storytelling, a healing and arts program for formerly incarcerated women. Retreat number two is April 27th to the 28th and retreat number three, May 1st to the 2nd from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. via Zoom. This event is open to women released from California prisons within the last three years who are California residents and 18 years and older. Call 510-650-8198 for more details about this free event. Join Stop LAPD Spying Coalition community meeting over Zoom for part six of Power Not Paranoia webinar series. Police State and Culture of Resistance in the Time of COVID on Tuesday, April 28th at 6 p.m. Go to stoplapdspying.org or their Facebook page for the Zoom details. Black Women for Wellness says, cook up. Have you looked in your kitchen cupboards, pantry and refrigerator, then wonder what could you possibly make of the hodgepodge of stuff there? BWW is encouraging you to cook up that food. And if you want ideas, send them a picture of what you have 
and as a community, they will come up with recipes for those ingredients that you have on hand. Post your pictures on Black Women for Wellness Facebook page, and they will post a recipe. For more information about Black Women for Wellness, visit bwwla.org. Black Lives Matter Virtual Town Hall. This is not a drill. Black Mutual Aid in the time of coronavirus. Live on Instagram at BLM Los Angeles, Thursday, April 23rd at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Black Lives Matter, Los Angeles. And that's our community calendar. If you ever want to have an event placed on the Radio Justice community calendar, then email pc at radiojustice.org. And speaking of Stop LAPD Spying, I had a chance to sit down with Hamid Khan, who was part of the leadership of that organization, to discuss contact tracing and virtual surveillance and how that ties into an expansion of police state powers in the wake of this COVID-19 pandemic. Hamid Khan is a member of the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, been an organizer in Los Angeles forever, and uh, he's one of the best. There's no one I would trust more. To come on the show and discuss what our rights mean and what we may be giving up going forward. So thank you, Hamid. Thank you. Welcome back to Radio Justice. Of course, definitely. This is very critical. Thanks for the invite, Adam. I wanted to have you on to talk about this contact tracing um, and how it ties into the stalker state. And uh, if you, could you please let us know exactly how that works? Right. So contact tracing is uh, an idea that has been around um, over the last uh, almost 100 years. And, and in the U.S., it really picked up uh, quite a bit around the HIV-AIDS uh, epidemic as well. And the basic premise is uh, to, to track uh, people who are positive, uh, to track their whereabouts, uh, and to monitor uh, the situation in case if uh, there, are, there are risks involved in, the, in their movements where other people can be impacted as well. So in a sense, um, you know, keeping your whereabouts. So if you've been, you know, in another neighborhood or meeting with folks, so they can be informed that there's a possibility uh, of uh, somebody who could be positive with a particular um, virus or so. And, and just to make sure that, you know, that, that that spot itself is then also becomes a target too to me to, as, as a sense of public health. Now, the problem is that, you know, obviously this is about, um, about tracking infection and tracking the, the spread of the epidemic as well, or pandemic in this case. Um, but the, the way what we are seeing is that, you know, putting it in a historic context, that how the, the police state in the United States and the surveillance state expands and police powers expand over time, in which then never return back to normal and they always become new normal during a time of crisis uh, and big events, both real and concocted. And I'm using the word concocted over here intentionally as well, um, because we've seen historically speaking that how certain crisis has been created too, um, you know, like the, the meth epidemic in LA and the gang war and, you know, like the, and then leading that to um, the 94 crime bill, and we know that the expansion of police powers and all of that. Yeah, um, yeah. And then we have seen 9-11 as well. So I think we're almost like in this post 9-11 moment, Adam, where a supposedly, or, or I mean, realistically, an emergency has happened. Uh, but under the guise of public safety, under the guise of public health, um, what is being proposed is to, to establish a massive um, surveillance apparatus uh, through the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. The Center for Disease Control has already been allocated $500 million uh, by the federal government uh, to start this process, which then would given currently in this age of technology and information sharing, and the stalker state as the Stop LAPD Swine Coalition has mapped it out, would be deploying um, various technologies and various practices um, where through anywhere from low, I mean, it could be anywhere from location tracker 
um, to uh, uh, to um, you know just social media uh, tracking uh, where Google has data on on people like a gazillion you know just just uh, data points on people's movement as well. So in a sense, um, you know, it almost becomes where, um, you know, your legibility would be, and that's the word that they use in contact tracing, that you, you, that you would become more and more legible. Now, Wait, now I apologize. I'm now legible as in we can read you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have, you have a footprint now. So now you have a footprint, um, and then we can, we, can, we can follow you. For example, if somebody, so, so think of it as electronic monitoring, um, you know, somebody who maybe uh, in, in a forced quarantine and then they step out of that quarantine and how they could be followed and traced and tracked. Um, and I think the question really is that we have to put it in, 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 in the context of what the facts on the ground are. And the facts on the ground are increasingly what we are seeing is a, a deeply a disproportionate impact on the black community of the COVID-19 virus. Could you run that down a little bit and how that traces back? Because it's interesting to see all these news organizations that didn't give a damn when it was one out of 16 people of African descent in Los Angeles that were on the streets suddenly so worried about the black community. Right. And I think that's what we need to, and that's where it needs into contact tracing. We need to start putting it in context as well. Um, that in a sense, which community, uh, you know, rather than looking as, as, a, um, uh, as, as conditions, various conditions on the ground that impact people's immunity and over time, over like, you know, just, I mean, and, and, and you know, uh, um, uh, going back into slavery and poverty and, and accessibility to healthcare. And so how that over time impacts um, people's um, immunity as well, how, how it, it creates various other, uh, you know, just, just uh, additional issues around hypertension and various other things which constantly decrease or impact people's, uh, 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 you know, just a, an immunity system too. So now the language of predisposition is being used that, that, that certain people are predisposed, right, um, to, to certain viruses. Well, what the heck does predisposition mean? Meaning um, that, you know, that there's a certain body type uh, that would acquire because it's more predisposed and it's more, um, uh, susceptible uh, to be to be to be afflicted with a particular virus or so. So now that whole so now what we have is a disproportionate impact, without any conversation on uh, where where now the response that the that the the state has through contact tracing is expanding literally expanding a police state uh, to police our way out of the problems right. Um, and, 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 and rather than looking at like, you know, what is the accessible to, to quality healthcare in certain communities? What is accessibility to, to healthy food? What is the accessibility to healthy air? Uh, what is the accessibility to healthy living conditions? And all of these things, now the police state is gonna take charge under the guise of this contact tracing. So that's one piece. Uh, the second piece is this whole pathologization and the demonization of the black community as being predisposed. So they become, so there's already like, you know, everybody is a potential carrier. So everybody needs to be seen as a suspect and everybody needs to be protected against. So again, what, what, you know, what we are seeing is that along, so which community is going to be impacted the most, which community is going to be surveilled the most. It's like, you know, which community is going to have, um, more almost like this predictive policing style uh, hotspots and Operation Laser that which community is going to be, be attached in a level of criminality. So now what we are seeing under the guise of, of the virus, again, um, in, the, in the context of predictive algorithms and, and data-driven policing, that, uh, that criminality is being assigned to people as well in a very underhanded way. So we have to really think ahead that what is the potential impact of this contact tracing and why it is necessary for us to intervene. Uh, and the Stop LAPD Spine Coalition is working with uh, some public health experts as well. And also we'll be putting out 
um, you know, our assessment as well. But the but right now, as what we are seeing, the the different moving parts, it's very clear uh, that uh, that uh, Jared Kushner, who's Trump's son-in-law, has already announced um, as a lead person uh, to deal with coronavirus. Uh, as a representative of the administration, as a senior advisor, and to create a 9-11 type, Patriot Act type uh, contact tracing and this this massive national police security police state apparatus. And for those of you that don't know, Hamid back in the day was a, a major uh, force in the immigrant movement here in Los Angeles. So I would like to ask you to break down, and I say that simply to establish your credibility and maybe to give you confidence to go into it. What's up with ICE and how is that being used during this crisis? I mean, we still see these cats raiding people uh, with no masks, no gloves, nothing, and just getting ready to toss people out of the country, throw them in camps. How, how, does, how does that tie all tie together? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, 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 we also have to remember, Adam, that in the context of, of, of race and, and how uh, what we see the police state is that how poverty, race, and suspect bodies are always, uh, are always policed. Um, and and the, the, the narrative has always been, so there's, there's a couple things over here, particularly, mm-hmm. that one is that, that forever the immigrant uh, and this is where, you know, when we, when, we, uh, when we had this webinar on the 31st of March, what we talked about was that how public health is a critical tool for the police state. How, how the narrative of public health has been used very effectively to, to both provide uh, access and reject access uh, into the United States when it comes to migration as well how public health has always been used as a, so even for the, not right now, but forever, there were prerequisites in, 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 the, in, my, in migrating to the United States. For example, that if you ever had, if you were coming from a place of contagious diseases, if you ever had infectious diseases, or if you were ever involved in prostitution, so, the, so both health and, and issues of moral turpitude, as it was as stated, have always been a part of migration. So in that tuberculosis, uh, and you know, just, just and various other forms of contagious diseases. So these standards have always been there. Um, and and the, 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 the guiding uh, issue around these standards is that these are these dirty people uh, who are diseased people who are coming across our borders um, you know, and spreading spreading disease. I mean, we've always seen that. Now that whole uh, narrative of, of Chinese virus instead of coronavirus, that how, uh, again, Trump is, is stoking these flames of hatred and, and discrimination and just uh, continues to call it as a, as a coronavirus. So in essence, most recently, a couple of days ago, what also happened was on the southern border that forcefully, without any due process or without any process at all, um, they removed about 15,000 people from the border who were trying to get or file for, for amnesty and ask for asylum. Not, not amnesty, but ask for asylum mm. uh, and nothing, no, no application, nothing. They were forcibly removed into Mexico, right? So that just happened. Um, so similarly, I mean, I think what we will see is that, that, and that also will create an issue because as we see more testing done, um, as we see more people and as people's immigration status is revealed as well, um, given the ruthlessness and the viciousness and the cruelty of ICE, which is just exactly what they would do. So this whole contact tracing would become, would become a further weaponization for ICE to identify people. And um, they may you know, uh, uh, play it up and say, okay, we're not removing people right now because they're not well. And of course, like, you know, there are several reasons of, of why they would want to do that, um, just to put a show and tell. But then the whole family is forever marked as well, right? So this becomes an additional layer uh, as a way to not, not just track people's health, but also their immigration status. Um, also various other things as well. Like, you know, I mean, the stalker state doesn't stop at one person. It's like, you know, one person becomes a conduit, a window. So almost like this contact tracing becomes a, a similar to a social network analysis that you become a, a window into the lives of 100,000 people. So similarly, how your community, how your network, how your local family, how those everybody is going to be on the radar as well.
This is my last question for you, Hamid, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, your busy Zoom meeting day of course, to of sit course. down and yeah. talk to us. But uh, <laughs> so how we we you just laid out how uh, the state and those that wish to oppress the people are going to use this crisis. How are we using this crisis? How are we being prepared, especially for when these quarantines lift? Um, how are we being prepared to defend ourselves and our community? Yeah, and I think it's 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 a, the, that that issue, uh, Adam, is is obviously it's 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 a huge issue because one of the one of the biggest thing that's looming over all of our heads is the impending uh, uh, economic disaster, the utter failure of capitalism. I mean, which is nothing new. Yeah. Um, so, so along uh, with the conditions on the ground and people have been there in a recovery mode uh, from these uh, massive pandemics, I mean, that by itself requires a lot of alertness, a lot of being present and a lot of watching each other because mutual aids and informing and educating each other becomes really critical and people go up and we need to go into a survival mode. Now, add to that where the estimates are, are pretty frightening in a sense of the economy size of the United States. When you look at double digit uh, unemployment uh, and the size of the population, we already have about 17 million people who file for unemployment. So, you know, so when we look at um, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the economic issues um, and access to, uh, so, so of course, on one hand, there's four months of, of um, unemployment benefits uh, that are being uh, uh, kicked out, but yet at the same time, um, you know, I mean, what happens then? So I think for us, it's uh, these are a, a, the, and the forums that that Radio Justice LA creates are extremely, extremely critical at this time and always uh, for people to have these conversations and to collectively uh, do a collective analysis that what the impact is. Um, and because nobody else uh, is going to, I mean, we, we don't expect the Trump administration. We don't expect uh, the government. We don't expect the state because it's a nanny state. It's, it's, it, this is corporate welfare. Um, so the only people that are going to be bailed out or going to be healed to some extent would be corporations. Um, uh, so, so, you know, what happens to us? So, so again, looking at this intersection of um, a, a health issue, and, and again, uh, there are also estimates that who knows that this may recur again in fall. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's, it's anybody's guess right now. Um, and then the impending economic disaster, the expansion of the police state. So, uh, so I think in, in times like this, we know that how the police state comes down, how they're very much honed in these very clearly, these counterinsurgency tactics um, I mean, just to add uh, uh, another piece that just late December, uh, mm -hmm. Bill Barr had announced um, DOJ uh, and they had targeted seven cities around the U.S. and it's called Operation Relentless Pursuit. So that is a multi-agency operation between the DEA and the, and the ATF and the FBI and the, and the Department of Justice um, to go after supposedly uh, criminal uh, enterprises in, in different cities, in Detroit, in Baltimore, in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, Albuquerque, and, and some other cities as well. So, you know, so in a sense, <clears throat> what we are seeing is uh, this, 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 this very sort of a uh, heavy-handed and, and a harsh approach on the, on the, from the police state, and then with, along with the, both the health and the economic issues as well. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing this with us. And, you know, I got to be honest, me personally, it gives me a little bit of light to know that you're going to be uh, you're going to be there helping us get through this. So I'm really glad to have you on the show, man. Absolutely. We're all in this together. I think it's 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 our duty uh, to, uh, you know, I mean, that that we if we have knowledge, we can't hoard knowledge. We got to decolonize that. And we need to bring it to our communities, and it's collectively that we will create our collective community defense. I need to and justice. I've got to get it equal to That's going to do it for us today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for fighting. Please stay safe. And until next week, family, all power to all oppressed people. 
and peace to you if you're willing to fight for it. Nobody knows everybody fighting to reach the top. How far is it from the bottom?